My brothers and sisters, the Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. The Jews murmured about Jesus because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph? Do we not know his father and mother? And how can he say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered and said to them, stop murmuring among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draw him and I will raise him on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to my father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the father except the one who is from God. He has seen the father. Amen, amen, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate the manna in the desert, but they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Whoever eats this bread will live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. A few weeks ago, a a friend and I were playing a trivia game online, and one of the questions that came up asked, this company, since the year 2000, has used the tagline, what's in your wallet? And we both got the question right, capital one. And I was surprised that this motto has been around that long and how quickly we were both able to identify it. The marketing professionals who came up with the what's in your wallet campaign explained that the question invites the viewer or listener to think about things like financial security, purchase power, and prosperity. And at the same time, it's clever in planting doubt in the minds about whether or not the person has the right stuff to get all the satisfaction that they're, they're looking for in life. And of course, the intent of the ad campaign is to make people think that only this particular bank and this credit card will make them satisfied and secure and significant. And if they don't feel secure about having the right things in their wallets, perhaps they need to reevaluate its contents. That ad came up as I was praying with this week's scriptures with a twist, which shouldn't be surprising. It's doubtful God wants us to spend time fixating on what's in your wallet. In fact, he would want us to be mindful of the temptations that exist when people are overly fixated on money or expecting satisfaction that comes from something we buy or imagining our, our values and worth is somehow determined by our wealth. But to paraphrase that campaign, I kept hearing the Lord asking a deeper question with today's scriptures. What's in your heart? That's a bit harder and a little bit more difficult for us to focus on, isn't it? 
It's something we are very cautious about who to share with, that we go to great lengths at times to kind of hide from others. And that's if we're even fully in touch and aware of what it is that's in our hearts. Because whether intentionally or not, with our really fast-paced lives, am I the only one who's wondering how the heck it's August already? The to-do list that even when you get one thing accomplished, it seems two more just appear as quickly. With so much noise in our world and in our lives, a lot of us tend not to have even the time and the space to get in touch with what's truly there in our hearts in the day-to-day. It's maybe when there's a crisis or some major trial or struggle that we can get a quick assessment of what's there. And that's something we see in these readings in a very dramatic way. Elijah, who we heard about in that first reading, was a prophet of the Lord from about 900 years before Christ. And right before this episode, Elijah, through the power of God, had accomplished one of the most dramatic miracles in the entire Old Testament before this massive crowd. The Jewish people had turned away from the Lord and had fallen into this false worship of a false god named Baal. Now Elijah has this big smackdown cage match with over 400 of the prophets of Baal. These 400 appealed to Baal to send fire down on a sacrifice to prove that they were legit, and they did so for hours to no avail because there is no God but the Lord God Almighty. Then when Elijah steps up, just to make it even more dramatic, he tells them, pour gallons of water on my sacrifice. And with one appeal to the Lord God, fire comes down and consumes the whole sacrifice immediately and completely. The people are stunned and have a conversion of heart and they recognize their sin in turning away from God. They also kill the 400 prophets of Baal that helped lead them into such apostasy. And there's only one person who's not on board with all this, and that's Queen Jezebel, who sends words that she'd like what happened to the 400 prophets to now happen to Elijah. And that's where we picked up today. What was in Elijah's heart? Abject fear. He couldn't get out of town fast enough. He's fleeing into that desert, and now we find him exhausted and despairing from this journey. As we heard him say, This is enough, O Lord. Take my life, for I am no better than my father's. It doesn't sound like he's relishing the victory he's experienced, does it? And in the gospel, we're on week three of this five-week journey with the chapter six of the Gospel of John. This pivotal part of scripture where where Jesus reveals the gift and mystery of the Eucharist. That in the communion host, Jesus is as real and present, body, blood, soul, and divinity, as he was when he first spoke to those crowds almost 2,000 years ago. And that we, we must eat that living bread that came down from heaven. We must eat his very flesh. Up until this point in the gospel, which we heard the last two Sundays, Jesus had fed five, closer to 10,000 people after miraculously multiplying five loaves and two fish and then ending up with 12 baskets of leftovers. That had been an amazing feat 
that the next day when this crowd is hungry again, they go looking for Jesus for breakfast. Jesus tries to point out to them that they were focusing more on those works themselves. They were working more obsessed about the miracle than rather than seeing that it was pointed to something deeper and greater. That he was in fact God himself. And he was inviting them, not just for one particular meal, but to be included into a feast and in a banquet that would satisfy them for eternity. What was in the crowd's heart? We heard that today. They murmured about Jesus. They're complaining. They're dissatisfied with him. It doesn't sound like they like what's on the menu if it's not free bread or fish, does it? Two pretty clear and dramatic examples of people revealing some difficult and unpleasant things that are in their heart. Elijah's fear causing him to such despair, he thinks there's no hope. He can't keep running and he thinks he's about to be caught up by the emissaries of Queen Jezebel. And so in despair, he prays that God will just take his life there and then. And then this crowd interacting with Jesus who are more focused on their stomachs and their temporal needs, that they seemingly have no thought, no awareness that the man who just astounded them with this miracle that had them looking for food again, that maybe, just maybe, they should listen and consider what he's offering them in terms of eternal life. From the comfort of our pews, we can kind of wonder, how could they be so blind, so oblivious? But before we get too self-righteous, we can't miss St. Paul's letter to the Ephesians, where he's basically asking his listeners, what's in your hearts? Particularly as we gather as the body of Christ to receive the body of Christ. Paul says pointedly, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. That should be enough to kind of cause us to stop in our tracks. How do we do that? How do we grieve the Holy Spirit? What's in our hearts as we take Jesus' flesh and eat his body and blood? Is there any hatred for someone? Do we carry any hope for revenge? Am I bitter towards family or neighbors, classmates, or people I work with? Does my blood pressure raise and I start saying or posting things online whenever a particular politician's name is spoken? Those same questions make me just as uncomfortable, believe me. I hate that those things are there, that those things can be in my heart. But the good news is that we are here today. The good news is that our God knows this already. He wants us to know what he knows. He wants us to confront those things in our heart and even more importantly, to bring them to him. You think God didn't know that Elijah wasn't as brave as Elijah thought he was? Or that Elijah's faith would falter when he wasn't doing something specifically ordered by God. That when Elijah hears this threat from this vengeful queen, that Elijah's vision is so very limited to somehow think that the God who just showed up in dramatic fashion would now abandon his obedient servant. God knew all that. Elijah just had not confronted those things that were in his heart until now. And what does he do now? He doesn't turn in on himself with those things. He goes full-throated, unembarrassed by these feelings as he cries out to God. And that's the key. That's the point. 
Elijah still trusts God to bear his heart and soul to. And God doesn't magically make it all better in that instant. What does he do? He sends an angel to feed him, tells him to rest, feeds him again, and then sets him on this 40-day journey to Mount Sinai. He feeds Elijah with his bread. He calls Elijah to be obedient and to follow him. And when he does, he will have a beautifully personal, intimate encounter with the living God. His heart will be made new. That's what's so disappointing with this crowd in the gospel. They're letting their temporal needs to guide and direct them. They're focused on what they want right here and right now. They're focused solely on their stomachs and not what's in their hearts. They don't see the ingratitude they have for the Lord and that they've allowed the gift of free bread and fish to make them believe that somehow they were entitled to that and anything else that they wanted for that matter. And we will see that that's going to limit their ability to follow Jesus. What's in our heart? Praise God, we find ourselves here in this place, hearing his word and preparing to receive Jesus' body and blood in the Eucharist. And the Lord is gently trying to catch our attention and move us away from the distractions of the day-to-day, away from worldly wants and desires, probing us to look at those fears that still keep us up at night, the sins that weigh us down with guilt and shame that we keep putting off going to confession with, where we can receive his gift of mercy and forgiveness, the pains that we suppress because we have too much to do and think that no one really cares about it. Elijah's example shows us how to be vulnerable with ourselves and with the Lord. God knows our limits and our fears and isn't scandalized or frustrated by them. So why are we? Can we be like Elijah and stop running and just bear our hearts to him? Knowing more than an angel offering us temporal food to strengthen us, we're being invited to something greater, something far more nourishing. Jesus offering his very flesh, his body, blood, soul, and divinity in the Eucharist, that we can taste and see the goodness of the Lord ourselves. When we hear these calls and respond, that's when we start to realize that what's in our wallets pales in comparison to the true eternal treasure that Jesus wants to pour into our refashioned hearts.